Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lunar Crush Live. John, how are you today? I'm good. You just uh, you just reminded me how difficult it is to post GM on Twitter these days. Yeah, because it's you always never know where it is GM. That's right. That's right. Yes, and BGN for someone else out there. That's usually um, the responses. <laughs> or good afternoon. No one does good afternoon. No. Busy. Not as cool. Not as cool. Um, so today, everyone, we're joined by uh, Marshall Hainer, founder and CEO of Proton. We'll be having him come on here in a second. Uh, we'll be talking about Proton, uh, community strategies. We'll hopefully answer some questions in there. Um, be calm in that chat. You guys were crazy last week. <laughs> um, so just a reminder to everyone, uh, you know, we do not take payment for our live stream. Uh, we bring on fun, hardworking individuals who have dedicated their lives and careers to the crypto space. Uh, like ourselves, Web3, whatever you want to call it. I saw a tweet the other day. Someone's like, you can tell the way someone is, whether or not they say crypto or Web3 now. And then there was no context to it. So I don't know. I don't know what to say to that anymore. Um, get in there and please ask some questions. And we'll try to get to those um, throughout the stream. Um, and then uh, hit that subscribe button. We've uh, we've moved up quite, quite a bit in subscribers. We're getting some good guests on here. So we're super stoked about that. Um, so cool. Anything else you want to say, John, before we get, get uh, Marshall up here? I'm excited about today's guest. I mean, we've been looking at Proton all year, so it's pretty exciting. I'm 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 really really thrilled that that he's here today. So I know. bring when him up, saw, bring him up. When you had uh you you posted about it, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I downloaded their app like a while ago, and I looked on my phone, and I did have it, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. So cool. All right, let's bring him up. Marshall, what's up, my man? Hey guys, hey Joe and John, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a huge Lunar Crush fan. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I am. I am. I always check the social the social scores because it's a good uh, I feel like it's a good representation of what's trending before it's trending. So no, appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. Um, so the way that we always like to start is um, where are you in the world right now and what's it like there? Yeah, I'm in sunny Los Angeles, California. I used to live in San Francisco for uh, about 10 years, about a decade and then moved down here. Uh, in 2020 when COVID hit because the city kind of shut down. So I was looking for somewhere with a backyard and it was warmer down here. It felt, didn't feel like leaving California. I was either going to go north or south. So I went south and uh, here I am, but it's beautiful. We're fully, a fully distributed team, decentralized team now all over the world after COVID because we just kind of realized we can go wherever we want. Why are we kind of holing up in this expensive office when we could just uh, be at home, right? Or uh, be wherever we want. So uh, love it here. Awesome. Yeah, you chose you chose the sun. I yeah. uh, highly recommend and have a little, I feel like, little bit of space. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the entrepreneurs want the sun. They either wanted to go to Texas, Austin, Miami, uh, but nobody, everybody was like, wait, we don't have to live in the cold. Okay, let's go. Yeah, I feel like Boulder used to be a place that a lot of people would go, but you're just not, maybe you're not seeing it as much anymore, but it's literally like, Everyone I talked to it was either Miami, like back down to Los Angeles, Austin, or like then some people did go international. And some people just don't live anywhere anymore. They just like hop from place nomad. to place, which is also super cool. Yeah, it's easy to be a digital crypto nomad because your bank your bank account isn't really tied to any country, right? So you can just kind of get up and leave. Uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting time. And I love how crypto is kind of, you mentioned earlier, so you can tell the difference between somebody says crypto and Web3. We're evolving, right? We're evolving. We're we're kind of it used to be just coins, and now it's coins and NFTs and digital assets, and watch it grow into all these other things. It's really cool to see, um, and I, I love how we're, we've become so decentralized. I think crypto companies re led the way for 
you know, bigger tech companies. And uh, maybe some of them even got a little too overzealous because they completely changed their name to Metaverse or Meta or whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, it's an exciting space. Yeah. And, and you know, talking about that a little bit, you know, you're seeing what's happening right now um, in Ukraine. And, you know, there's a lot of people talking about crypto in that sense. They're saying, you know, crypto could be used by Russia in order to like, you know, pull some of their ruble out and move it into into Bitcoin or something else. But then it's also you know, you're seeing tens of millions of dollars being donated to the Ukrainian armies um, and just anyone over there that's trying to help out. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Of like, I, I feel like Bitcoin's in this perfect spot where it's like it's too small for Russia to use it. And it's but it's big enough for like all the citizens and everyone else to use it. It's like in this perfect size where it's like, you know, kind of sitting in the middle. But what are your thoughts right now on kind of what's happening with crypto over in uh, Eastern Europe? Yeah, I'll start off by saying, you know, um, it's a tragic situation what's happening in Ukraine. And, you know, first and foremost, I think about all the people that are displaced because in these wars, it's not usually the, you know, the leaders or the, uh, the government that's hurt. It's the people, right? So when you have sanctions and stuff like that, it's actually the people that suffer the most and not the leaders. When I saw a, a tweet comment the other day, you know, when are we going to bring it to the leaders and not the people, uh, you know, and hold them accountable? And I think that that's, you know, very true. And I think that Putin should be held accountable and um, the leaders should be held accountable. And we're, we're doing that. But sometimes I, you know, sanctions are, you know, necessary. I understand it's a, it's a, it's a tool to put political pressure on uh, countries like Russia when they're waging war and it's, it's unjust what they're doing. But it's sad because it's the people that get hurt the most and when I first discovered crypto, I thought it was so cool because when I first discovered Bitcoin, this idea that you could have money in your mind, right? It, it might be hard to memorize like a like a, a normal like private key, right? Um, that's kind of crazy, getting case sensitive and everything. But um, it's uh, it's it's very easy to memorize, you know, twelve or twenty four words. And this right. idea that you could have money in your mind, that money could be portable. And that it could be permissionless was kind of the aha moment for me that I thought, wow, this will be currency in the future. We'll see representations of dollars. We will see uh, legal contracts. We'll see art. We'll see uh, individuals' coins or, or brand coins, um, you know, everything. Uh, eventually, securities and equities will be represented on blockchain because it's, it's, there's a lot of issues around transparency in the stock market, right? And we saw that with uh, Wall Street bets and uh, Citadel and, every, and, and everything that happened there. People want the economic opportunity. They want the opportunity to earn. They want the opportunity to create and be part of something. And that's why web, what they call you know, Web3 is so interesting because it's not... I saw a great uh, infographic the other day for it. Web1 is read only. Web2 is read and write. So read and write being social media, right? And Web3 is read, write, and own. Right. And own being cryptocurrency and blockchain, NFTs and and digital assets. And I think that's kind of going to be the aha moment. And anything that that new technology that comes about that people so adamantly say is bad, you probably want to take a look at it because it's actually upsetting the reptile part of the brain that says, I don't know how to use this. Right. Um, and a lot of people get you know upset about it because it breaks the molds that it, it does something different. So I thought it was really cool over the weekend when Ukraine solicited money uh, over Twitter because you we've been in the space for a while. We've seen the the scams and all these things. So when somebody posts a Bitcoin address on Twitter, especially if they have a check mark on their profile, <laughs> you're hacked, right? That you're done. Shut off their account, alert everyone. So Vitalik Buterin gets in and says, 
you know, this might be a scam. Arguably, it looked very scammy. And then they confirmed it was actually ru uh, Russian government officials uh, soliciting money with cryptocurrency. And I think that's so cool because it, it basically says cryptocurrency is money. And for a long time, people have felt, you know, is it money? Is it property? What is it? Can we spend it? And I was out there in the early days buying stuff with Bitcoin when it was under a dollar, right? Yeah. Little tins of salve, alpaca socks, prepaid Visa card. I just want to prove that I could convert this from one side to the other into money or I could pay someone for it and they wanted to get paid with it. Um, I mean, I think I donated uh, a, a couple hundred BTC to what.cd when it was uh, had donations <laughs> when they opened it up because they had no way of receiving donations. Um, and so that to me is really cool. I think the next step is identity in a way that's re uh, that we can see on chain, right? So in the future, maybe it's like ukraine.gov with a check mark. I don't have to worry that I'm, you know, hitting the right address or whatever. It's very cool. Yeah. And with Twitter, especially it's, it's, that is how people are kind of doxing like addresses in the right way with this conflict versus before it was like, you know, I know there was the Twitter hack like a year or so ago where it was like, you know, every single person, you know, the who's who was hacked and it was like, you know, which was a, actually a huge moment for Bitcoin, you know, just socially and people kind of seeing it and learning about it. But it is interesting how still today there's a lot of people that are like, well, if I buy that Bitcoin, can I actually use it? You know, it's like, well, there's a lot of like credit cards that are attached to some of these things. And it's like, it's almost in, like, because we've been here for so long, it's almost like so easily and insanely spendable. Like it's ubiquitous. It almost feels like in my mind. But there's still folks that are coming on board today that are still like, well, if I get some, can I even use it? That's we have a saying at Metal. Um, it's real if you can eat it. And when I created Metal Pay in 2016, the vision was that you could show up to this app with, you know, skeptical about crypto. And I knew in the early days, many people would be. And I wanted them to earn it in a way that they could, uh, that anyone could. Right. And cryptocurrency mining by 2015, 2016 is you know, unless you're mining some altcoins and it's really a hobby, you're even even so ROIing on that is unlikely unless you really know what you're doing. So it's kind of like a hobby. So I wanted an easy and simple way for people to earn crypto. And we created Metal Pay and created this this um, this mechanism called POP or proof of process payment. It was only intended to work for a few years where you get cash back in the form of metal cryptocurrency. It was live from 2018 to 2021. So about th uh, three years. And during that time, people would make payments, P2P payments with each other over using Venmo, over using Zelle, right? And they're earning metal back. And a lot of people earned, you know, a few thousand dollars of metal, you know, from 10, 20, 30, 40 cents. Now it's at, you know, $1.60. And people have this incredible experience. Wow, I've never downloaded an app before that paid me $20,000 over the course of it, two years or whatever <laughs> and, uh, you know, bought me a car. You know, that is the and and that's feeling pretty real for those people. Right. Yeah. And that totally. that was my my mission. Part of my mission or my vision with metal was I want you to eat it. I want you to realize that it's real. So now in 2022, you know, you can very easily go in the metal pay app and buy something with Bitcoin or with metal or proton or Ethereum. Same thing with Coinbase. You have so many different options now globally, and it's just going to keep expanding, expanding. And, you know, my big thesis is that just give it like two to five years and every major bank will have the option. You'll be able to deposit cryptocurrency, buy cryptocurrency. And if you said that, you know, 10 years ago, banks would say, yeah, right. No way. There's no way we would we would have that as an offering. But the, when the people speak, you have to provide them what they want. And what the people want is freedom and people want freedom of choice and they want 
economic opportunity and that's what crypto provides you know what's really interesting right now earlier you were saying how you can you know you can go anywhere in the world basically with uh your your key in your head and no one can take that from you and you know it's like it's interesting because this is something that i think since the dawn of bitcoin everyone's talked about you know everyone's talking about it's the sovereign individual that has you know full control over their their financial well-being and it just it dawned on me this morning. The first thing that I saw was um, the Visa and Mastercard have bl- have bl- basically blocked Russia, like financial institutions in Russia. Visa and Mastercard will not work right now. Um, and you see people, you know, Ukrainian refugees, and it's horrible. The things we're seeing, it's awful. Um, and I'm so glad to see them getting help um, as much as possible. All the donations coming in, but it's like, you know, you see all that. And you see such a broken financial system. And, and, you know, it was all but a week ago that we were complaining about Canada, you know, blocking access to their bank accounts. And, and it's just, it's such an interesting time. Where do, where do you think this plays out? Where, do, where does, is this the start where crypto is actually taken really seriously by mainstream? Yes. Um, I, I've made a lot of predictions over the years and I, So I've been I come from that old school right in Bitcoin. I was involved in crypto in 2009 mining on my 2008 MacBook Pro. I'm came from the beginning. So I've seen the full change. And I actually was um, very much a nerd in high school, uh, if you can't tell. And I was uh, (laughs) I was very into cryptography, computer science, write my build my own apps and things like that. And um, just as a hobby and. Uh, I thought cryptography was so cool. I stumbled, stumbled on this group called the cypherpunks in a mit when this, uh, this thing called news groups, it's an older thing that people don't really use anymore, but was a way of subscribing to lists. So, you know, my surprise, you know, 10 years later, when I discovered them again, uh, building Bitcoin on the P2P foundation website, a lot of the same names that I saw in cypherpunks and stuff. And it came out of a group of people that are very anti-government that don't trust the government. Um, and, and, you know, rightfully so there have been a lot of, you know, the government, you know, is here to protect us, but at the same time, there has been corruption all over the world. Right. And so, you know, when Bitcoin was created in the original, uh, Bitcoin block, you have a hash, uh, where there's basically a message, uh, that's references the 2008 banking collapse, British chancellor on the brink of, uh, banking bailout for the second time or something like that. And it was a political statement in creation of Bitcoin from Satoshi Nakamoto and the earlier people that we don't need a government for currency, right? And that's the really cool thing. I actually discovered Bitcoin through BitTorrent. So I was a big uh, decentralization of data freak. So when I thought about the idea that money could be involved, I just dropped everything I was doing and started looking at that and got really excited about that. And it's really interesting to think so many years later, that that company, BitTorrent, was actually sold to another crypto company, Tron. And the founder, um, Bram Cohen, who's a, a legend, used to be an advisor here at Metal, went off to create his own crypto company, Chia. That's got to tell you something, that the future of decentralized technology has uh, the engine of that, the heart of that is blockchain and cryptocurrency. And so um, that's the really, you know, what's so cool about all this is that I think in the future, governments will view cryptocurrency as money. And I'm talking about crypto commodities like Bitcoin. So you have forward thinking nations like Japan who have already put it in the, the currency code. And then you have uh, you know, Governor Abbott in Texas who's trying to add it to the universe, universal uh, uh, commercial code for Texas. 
to, to become currency. I heard rumblings that it's going to happen in Colorado and Wyoming. Wyoming just out of the blue announced they're going to do their own stable coin, state level stable coin. I think this is really tremendous because it's kind of an explosion of opportunity and also interconnectedness where things used to be shut down. And when you see all these people in the subway in Russia trying to tap their GPay, trying to tap their Apple Pay, what does that tell you? We need open source Apple Pay. We need open source right. standards with the ledger that can connect to it. And even if we can't serve a country because of OFAC, we need the so-called reg tech or protocol built into the blockchain to be able to differentiate. So it's a smooth process. So Russians Apple Pay still works or open source Apple Pay. We kind of built that at Proton, something called webauth.com, and we're building on the webauth and protocol. But that idea that you could just tap to pay anywhere, you shouldn't have to be bound to one service provider. It should be part of the blockchain, part of crypto, and it should be 24-7, never shuts down. And if the, the policies change, then you can adapt your technology around the chain, right? And think of everything you just said. I mean, it was so it was the, the exact quote was chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. That was 13 years ago. And when you think about that, that was the mortgage crisis. That was when that was when I, I you know, uh, everyone's home got chopped in half in value. And, you know, Joe, Joe didn't get his job in New York City at the, at the time that he was going to go <laughs> he's going to go work in New York. And, and it's like what, what blows my mind is think about that moment and think about today. Think about how much more dramatic what's happening today is than that moment. And that moment was what donned Bitcoin. And, and, and you and so think about it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm just saying I'm blown away when you think about where we're at in, in time. It's, I've watched these cycles. I say Bitcoin, like many things, kind of has these little three-year cycles where every three years, you know, something really big politically happens where it's, uh, you know, every two or three years, something really big politically happens, I would say. And, you know, in the beginning, 2008, that was kind of the genesis of crypto, right, was the 2008 financial collapse and essentially the mortgage crisis. Um, and then by uh, 2000, um, you know, flash forward another couple of years, by late 2012, 2013, we have the uh, Cyprus banking collapse. And this was actually where I got really got into crypto. I was already in crypto as a hobbyist. But I, I, I thought that it might be my calling after spending a few years playing around with it. I was really in love with it. I just didn't know what I was going to do with it. And in you know, 2010, 2011, there weren't many crypto businesses, right? There were virtually none. The alpaca socks guy and some random people didn't seem like it was something that you could make a business out of yet. But I thought, wow, if this could replace PayPal, imagine that the open source PayPal, right? Here I am <laughs> 10, over 10 yeah, years yeah. later with an open source PayPal, do, beating PayPal to the punch. But uh, I thought that that could really, you know, change the world. And that is something that's, uh, it's just, it's kind of like Pandora's box. It's been opened. You can't reverse. You can't go back. Um, it's going to, it's a tool that can be used for great evil or great good. And I think it's going to be used for great good because uh, it's going to allow all the fintechs, all the banks everywhere to connect, to work together. We're going to have a better sense of identity and truth and veracity when it comes to voting, when it comes to identity. Isn't it crazy that you know we enter a 16-digit bin card number like your credit card online and the fraud prevention is basically detecting weird things to text you yes or no isn't that crazy yeah. that we couldn't just have you know cryptographic signature and i can just verify that it's actually me versus writing in a text like no i'm not in florida i'm in la right <laughs> like that's yeah it's like there it's like post like postscript detection of like fraud you know and it's like you're just hoping 
But yeah, it's like every time you go to eat or do anything, you're just like giving away your private key, giving away your private key, giving away your private key. Like everywhere you go, oh, I got to pay for this bill. Give away my private key. Uh, Imagine Marshall, if that was a key to your house and you walked around with like a bag of keys to your house and you just yeah. give them out. And then at some you point, you know where they are. Collect them. Yeah. yeah, you don't know where they are. Someday your house gets just completely destroyed. Yeah. It's you okay. Somehow you get insurance to pay for it. Someone's like a two feet in the door saying, do you want this person in your house now that they're in your house? You're like, actually, no, no I wouldn't like them in my house. They get the tax to close the door. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. And same thing with your social security number and same thing with, with so much of your data. And then we're wondering why are there so many data breaches and why, you know, um, and the system, the, the old legacy financial system is paying for this through insurance and you're paying through it. You're paying through it when you buy something from a merchant because the merchant's paying the merchant processing fees and, and, on, and pushing that cost off to you. So you're right. paying for the, the crappy system. Right. So it's up to us, you you're know, paying, to you're paying for some banker to live in New York City and have to get paid two million dollars a year and also have like the rent on that building, you know, that they purchased be two billion dollars. You're, you're paying for all that. You don't realize it where like a DeFi protocol could be supported by like an open source, you know, or maybe like 50 people and have zero costs. Like that's my thing always when people are like, how do they provide all this yield? I'm like, the banks are getting the yield. You just don't yeah. see any of it. <laughs> like they're already getting it. It's just finally being passed to you for the first time. But something you said earlier, Marshall, was like you're talking about all these different, like the different states, and like we had like city coins on, you know, before, and like we talk about the different cities that are getting tokens. And I just, John, I don't know if you remember, it was like even 2019, like we went through like a tech stars program, and everyone's like, well, I feel like maybe it's just going to be Bitcoin. You know, what are you guys going to do if it's only Bitcoin? And I thought to myself, like. Sure, a lot of the tokens that don't that exist today aren't going to exist in the future, but there are going to be an infinite amount more that will exist into the future because of all of these use cases that are out there. And it's like interoperability is so key with figuring out like, hey, every there's a renaissance right now of money. Like Wyoming, why wouldn't Wyoming or the cities in Wyoming have their own tokens that they could derive value from? And what do what is the value that is created in the utility of each of those individual things? Wherever there's utility to be had there's a token that's going to be behind it. Exactly. And I, I think that, um, you know, I said this, uh, there's a video floating around from 2016, right when the company started. And it's like me walking up this mountain and I'm talking about, and I said, every company will have a token. Every person will have a token. Every, every uh, app and platform that you use will have blockchain integrated, whether you know it or not. And that was a very prophetic video because, you know, in 2022, here we are, every company is looking at this. Every Every tech company is integrating crypto in some way. Uh, your bank will definitely integrate crypto over the next few years. It's, it's not even a question. It's already happening. New York Dig has 300-something banks in the United States. And why wouldn't you take the opportunity to be part of the economic renaissance? I mean, when you just say it out loud, it sounds like an incredible opportunity. Economic renaissance. Have we ever had an economic renaissance? It's happening um, right now. It's happening right now, and and you and anybody can participate. That's the cool part about Web three and and DAOs is that anybody can jump in. So I think that this is the future is is happening right now. And you know, back to your comment about the banker, you know, with the with the two million dollars a year or whatever. I don't mind if they make two million dollars a year, but I better be getting ten percent plus APY. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I don't care if they make two million, and I'm yeah, happy exactly. that they earned it. Right. But but we're not happy. So that's the problem, right? We're not happy right now. So well, we are. It seems like, but it, it, so it seems like maybe like one of those reasons we're not happy is the lack of trust. 
And probably at, at the heart of that is identity. So I'd love to hear more about like, how does Proton look at identity and what are some of the cool things that you can do with it? Yeah. So, you know, we started Proton, we set out on this, on this, this path, because when we started with Proton, uh, with metal pay, really, we wanted to be able to give people fast and fee-less micropayments, uh, for pop, for example, we couldn't do it. Even Ethereum at the time, the gas fees were, I would consider to be low now, like 10, 20 cents, but maybe the pop, uh, payment was 20 cents. So it's a hundred percent fee on the micropayment. It's not, it's no good. Right. And then we wanted to go a step further that we needed to have identity on chain. My vision is that in the future, we will have identity on chain. In the beginning, it was pseudonymous because it's V1.0 and 2.0 will have identity on chain and that will get better and better in terms of the services that can be offered. So I think, you know, people are afraid, oh, am I going to get demasked by putting the identity on chain? The reality is uh, you can have, you can still have a pseudonymous with have your, while having your identity on chain. So having a check mark that says, you know, metal pay or Coinbase verified me doesn't mean that you have to share all of your personally identifying information to the world. And also, you know, that's like having a bank account. I can have a bank account, but it doesn't mean that my bank account necessarily publishes my statement, you know, to the web for everybody to review. Uh, and that's kind of like the blockchain right now. So I think in the future, you're going to have this mixture of uh, permissioned and private where you can still be private, but there's still the ability for the right institutions, the right uh, people to be able to see, maybe not the whole world. So with Proton, we built this identity standard where you can be, for example, at Marshall, uh, um, at John, at Joe, and um, it's very easy to find you, right? You're no longer 1x whatever. If you tweeted on the internet, hey, I'm doing a fundraiser and you're you know, at john.xpr, it's much easier because people aren't like, oh, that's a scam, right? Like what we saw with Ukraine. So also when it comes to identity, you see Apple, uh, when you can sign up for apps with Apple, it's a really handy, very great feature. Face ID to sign up for a new app. You can share your email or you can hide your email. Very similarly with Proton, we came up with this idea that you should be able to log into dApps, link your identity, link your bank account. When I sign up for a new fintech app, I don't want to type out my SSN. I don't even want to give it if it's not necessarily, right? But I want to go through that process. Instead of it taking me 10 seconds to a minute or two, I just want a face ID and I can tap through the data that I do want to share. Oh, wants my social? No, I'm not sharing that. Well, maybe I don't get you know the higher level access. That's fine. Um, all of that stuff being open source and an open standard, that's what we're building on Proton. So right now you have the ability to verify your, your, your name as a consumer. Soon you'll be able to verify your name as a business and you get a, like a little check mark on chain, sort of like Twitter. And the idea is that we have these different domains, uh, a KYC domain, so you can Essentially, as a as a um, identity provider or a fintech, you can register like Coinbase.kyc or Trulyu or LexisNexis.kyc, and this provider can stamp that Marshall Hainer is who they say they are. When it comes to reattesting that data, it can all be done on chain. In the past, uh, essentially, what happens is a, a tech company will pay the identity provider per authentication for identity, but in the future, you'll actually get paid. So you'll go to sign up for something, right? And uh, you know, provider will be paying you for your data, which is stored on your device versus necessarily stored on a server. And it will share that data with the other provider. And they'll be able to see Coinbase.kyc, Metal.kyc, PayPal.kyc verified you. And the signup process will be so much smoother. When it comes to withdrawing like a large amount of money or linking a bank account into the blockchain, You'll be able to do that now. So when I go into like a proton swap, 
I could in the future with Proton choose funding source instead of USDC or Bitcoin or Proton, I could choose my bank and it will link my bank and pull funds uh, from my bank into the chain. Um, so this is kind of the vision that it's a, it's a better Swift, it's a better Visa. Um, and, and the idea with WebAuth.com is that it can hold your identity and also be a better authenticator. So when we look at like uh, multi-factor authentication, like Authy or Authenticator, what is it? It's a one-time passcode. It's not linked to my identity. If I lose that phone or device, if you've ever had to email customer support to like try to get a 2FA reset, you know that it's like a 60-day <laughs> process of like, we don't really know how to verify you are who you say you are. So they'll try all different types of methods to do that. But imagine if it was just Marshall Hainer and I could just face ID and they go, oh, okay, your, your access is uh, re-enabled. Um, so with WebAuth.com, we came up with a vision where we have the identity, we have the crypto, and also the ability to authenticate with that identity. So I can see Marshall Hainer's logging in. Also, if I'm going to withdraw, say, a million dollars out of my MetalPay account, you can also see Marshall Hainer's withdrawn, and I can do the biometric. And isn't that so much better than um, you know getting an email and waiting 72 hours and them asking you all these questions or maybe getting on video chat with you versus just a biometric, and it's all tested on chain? This is where we're going, and I think it's going to drastically reduce fraud, and it starts to open up Web3 where you know, you're no longer paying the merchant fees through your merchant. You're getting paid to identify. You own your own data. And, that's, and when you look at Russia, what happened with like Apple Pay, that shouldn't happen. That should be open source and on a chain. And if one country kind of stops communicating with another, doesn't mean that financial transactions stop happening. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, even with you know, thinking about that 72 hours or 48 hours sometimes, you know, for people like a BlockFi or Coinbase is because it's centralized and that money is, is, might not be where, you know, they say it is, right? And like, what are the reserve requirements for Coinbase versus JP Morgan, right? Like right now we know JP Morgan's reserve requirement is zero, right? But like, you know, that's why people always go after people like Tether and everything else. It was like, Tether has 75% of the funds to back. It's like, well, it's better than zero, like the US banks have. Right. But by attaching this kind of KYC to this, like kind of the this DeFi world a little bit, like you're saying, it's like instantly settled because it's there. And it's like I feel like there's such a big piece here with like loans and like, you know, over leveraging. It's like to buy a house. Right. Like how many millennials right now are sitting on crypto that they invested in because they didn't want to put their money in the S&P 500 because they didn't know what was going to happen. And now they can't unlock any of those funds because they don't have a FICO or they don't have like the banks are recognizing that it's like that, like you guys are going to help unlock that with this identity piece. That's like, that to me is the next massive piece to what will happen is like, can people unlock leveraged amounts of money on top of like, you know, if you're sitting on a million dollars of crypto, you can only borrow $500,000 worth. And then you're locking up. You actually have less money than you had before. It's like, that makes no sense unless you're using that for like just pure speculation. Right. And you don't want to lose the value of the underlying asset that you have. But it's like what people really want to do is take that million dollars and go buy a piece of property. Like you're saying, like something they can eat, but to me, this is something they can go live in. And it's like, do you, is that where you guys are kind of seeing some of this going? Definitely. And, you know, and we launched a, we saw these problems, you know, we saw a lot of problems early on in crypto. One was the scaling and gas fees, right? With Ethereum, uh, the ease of use for users to come in, losing private keys, um, and one of the issues we saw was the identity, right? And also around the DeFi lending, I saw a big problem there because without the identity, 
um, you, you're, you're going to run into issues. You don't know where the source of funds are coming from. How do I know that I'm not borrowing dollars from North Korea, for example? You don't really, because the smart contract doesn't discern, right? So in the future, as the regulations evolve, as the technology evolves, you want to have uh, smarter lending pools. And we're seeing the beginning of this with, for example, like Ave Arc or Compound Pro or things like that, right? Whitelisted pools. But that kind of sucks because now we're going backwards. Right. We're, we're taking DeFi and we're saying, you know, this was supposed to be for the people. And then we give it to only, you know, the, the, the Melvin Capitals or whatever. It, that's ridiculous, <laughs> right? So we should be able, it's for the people. People should be able to come in. We also want to be able to know that, you know, that uh, an uh, address is linked to someone. It's easier when it comes to recovery, like I mentioned. But also uh, when you're talking about borrowing uh, crypto and earning interest on crypto, we want it to be transparent, right? And there's there, there are regulatory issues, as we've seen with the CFI lending, right? BlockFi had to discontinue their right. product. And it kind of fell in those same lines of, you know, looking at like Howie and Reeves, the classic securities tests where you give BlockFi a little bit of Bitcoin and they come back with a little bit of more. What's happening behind the scenes, it's not really clear. You signed a terms of service that says, you know, you have free permission to do whatever you want, but you're going to return the interest. So it kind of it kind of mirrors like the classic Howie where it's like, I want to buy some oranges, but they're not really grown yet. How are they going to grow, right? But the interesting thing about um, DeFi versus CeFi is that we can see it. We can go on the chain and we can see all the, um, we can see, uh, how much is deposited, how much is borrowed. You can see exactly where the interest is paying for, uh, being paid from. And the next part of that is the identity, right? So, you know, having the identity where, you know, you know, it's fully compliant. Everybody that comes through is KYC'd, but also it's, uh, you can see that pool. And the next step is kind of what you talked about, which is kind of like risk scoring and the ability to have something that's leveraged. So an institution can come in and for example, give somebody some extra credit and they're basically backing that person, but it can still be in one of these pools, right? So uh, having DeFi where you can have trustless lending and that's kind of the holy grail. In order to do that, you have to have decentralized identity for consumers and corporations and government. So you really want to have, um, you really want to have, for example, Marshall, uh, Hainer verified on chain and then Metallicus Inc or PayPal verified on chain. And I can see, Okay, Marshall got a loan from PayPal. They he has a good credit score. He has crypto collateral. It might be above his crypto collateral, but this institution is kind of backing him on the loan. And I think that that's going to play into DeFi into the future. But we started with collateral backed because we just didn't have that in 2017, right? We didn't have the technology. But now it's 2022, and we're quickly getting there. And and um, you know, Proton is working on this. I've seen other projects like TrueFi working on this. I know that this is something that's coming. And I really believe that with the advent of crypto banks, and we saw we got a first taste of crypto banks in 2020, where we saw the first federal applicants in the United States. Uh, Metal was one of them with first blockchain bank. Um, and then things kind of changed because of the president and the, um, the change uh, uh, in, in office. And we saw uh, comptroller, um, uh, the comptroller of the OCC left and a new comptroller, Michael Shu, came in and things kind of got put on pause because it was a, a different administration that had taken all these these uh, chances and opened up the banking system. That's going to come back, I believe, and probably open back up. Um, but in the meantime, one of the interesting thing that's happening is you're seeing at the state level, very competitive stuff happening at the state level, like Wyoming launching their stablecoin and state level banks coming about. So I think that there's just going to be this massive explosion. 
And at the underpinning of all of it is going to be this thing that I think a lot of people didn't see coming, which was decentralized identity. It may not seem sexy now. It may not seem, you know, whatever. But when you are earning all of these points and rewards and you can borrow against it in multiple different markets and it's just way beyond any financial access you've ever had before, it's going to make a lot of sense, right? And when we changed the Proton Wallet to WebAuth.com, people, you know, scratch their heads and say, I don't get it. It should be called Proton Wallet. Why are you calling it WebAuth.com? First of all, it's a, it's a badass domain, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I think that it makes sense because... In the future, what is crypto really? And we learn this with NFTs. It's access. It's authorization. Right to access. To be, right to access. That's what NFTs are. That's what crypto is too. It's rights to access uh, your money, your, your, your art, your intellectual property, your legal contracts, and it will expand to everything. So in the future, I think banks will play a big part of that. They're going to embrace crypto. What's the saying? First you fight them, then you... That's something that you join them. Uh, that's the, <laughs> yeah, that's what's happening right now. Yeah. I think that there was a, a, a scared kind of, you know, how do we adapt to this? Because banks are not in the industry of, of in the business of moving that fast. And now they have to. Because I always say in crypto, one day in crypto is 10 days in the real world. It really is. Things are <laughs> happening so fast in this space that I, I see 30 days, right? So like, you know, 10 years ago, that was like 300 years ago. Right. right. Like the, it's a it's an extinction level event and it's already happened. Right. So the banks now that are that are uh, embracing this, they're going to go far. And and of course, the biggest ones like J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, they're doubling down on it harder than they ever have before. Facebook, they've spent billions and billions of dollars to focus on blockchain. Not a lot of people realize that metaverse is uniquely tied to blockchain. So it's a blockchain idea. Right. Um, and so. I just think that this is, you're going to see banks explode, but the digital identity piece is going to be a really critical component. And whoever gets it really right, it's going to provide all these services for you that it's just going to become incredible. Going to get a car loan, you're never going to have to sit there. You're just going to um, you know, scan a code and you're going to get all types of offers, right? Versus sitting there for half an hour, maybe you get an offer or something. Right. It's like a real, it's a, it. since it's all in the background, it's all working. It's like a real-time offer at all times. Like you right. just know exactly how much you can borrow based on exactly what you have in real time at all times based on market prices. And credit scores are terrible. I mean, you could have tons of money. You could be, you know, loaded. Like my credit score just went down. Did I do any? I'm not using my credit enough. Um, okay. But like, how does that have any bearing on how credit worthy I am? Right? Like it doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, you know, not taking out credit is not necessarily should not be considered a bad thing. You should be looking at the person's total assets, their behavior, ability to pay off loans and, um, you know, how they interact with different platforms and that behavioral capability. It's just that the credit bureaus are way behind the times. And the credit bureaus, just like the banks, are also looking at this like, how do we how do we do something? And also uh, city, state, federal government. You mentioned city coins. I guarantee you, you know, every major city right now is looking at this like, how do we create circular economies? Um, you know, I want people when they pay their state taxes to get, you know, a credit back in a state coin or a city coin. And, uh, you know, that's a discount on parking meters. That's a discount on city services, municipal services. Right. And keep the money in the economy. It's very valuable. Um, and I think people are starting to realize that we have this power and it's just going to transform everything. I mean, you can tell I'm excited about it, but you know, when people, we started from 
what is this funny money? I can't do anything with it. And we went to, if it's real, if you eat it to now PayPal is, you know, has crypto and major banks have crypto. I'm waiting for the ability to deposit crypto into the bank. So I'm, I'm going to go build my own bank and uh, make that happen first. So I, I wanted to ask about governance, but uh, I want to come back to like, are we hearing both of you guys talk about like the evolution of crypto, like where, how, how DeFi is, has progressed and everything and loans and identity. Are we at a point where we're, we don't need banks? Does crypto replace banks or do banks use crypto? Are we in this hybrid model? Are there totally new entities? Because I, I just think of this evolution and I go, well, wait a minute, we're going so far so fast. At what point do you stop using Bank of America or Wells Fargo or Chase or anything else? And you go, I can just use this crypto bank over here because it's fully decentralized and I like that. And my identity's there and, and I like what they're doing. You know, what, where do you see that going? Are we there to replace those banks or is it, is, you know, what happens? Yeah. So I said this from the very beginning. I mean, you know, in the early, early, early days of crypto, people would say stuff like down with the banks, the banks will be yeah. destroyed and with crypto and Bitcoin will overtake them. And, you know, I've always felt that that was wrong, um, not like morally wrong or whatever, but I felt that that prediction was wrong, that it's wrong in the sense that um, that banks provide a certain level of security and safety for users most people are not ready. Let's say you have a million dollars. Most people are not ready to, to tracer that, um, right? The <laughs> average person is like, where can I protect me from myself, right? From losing yep. my keys from, because that's really one of the biggest things I've seen in crypto for so long. In fact, in my desk right now, I have a tracer with several million dollars on it. One seed word is incorrect. It's my friend's tracer. And I'm trying to help him get into the tracer. He's had a lot of sleepless nights about this tracer, right? So banks have, you know, it's probably a capitalization. Have... It's a capitalization somewhere. It's it's there. I said, don't worry. It's forcing you to appreciate, right? But right. like, um, it. Well, you say something there, Marshall, with like, there's a reason that most Americans, you know, the net worth is in insurance accounts and retirement accounts, and it's part part of it is because they can't access it, right? And so when we say like. Hey, I can just walk into any car dealership and in real time, I know exactly how much money we have. That, that kind of is the reason that we got into the 2008 crisis where people are like, you know, part of it was bankers, like predatory lending where they're like, hey, you can get a lot. You can get another house. But it's part partly on that person to say, should I get another house? You know, it's, it's like maybe not. And so there's a there's an access point there, too, where it's too easy. But I, I feel like. Like right now with the DAOs, it started with like, hey, we're going to go buy the Wu-Tang Clan album or, hey, we're going to buy a constitution or, hey, we're going to buy a golf course. Right Right now, it's like fun stuff, kind of like whatever. It's it's esoteric. It's out there. But what's stopping one of these DAOs in one of those states you're talking about that's like more pro crypto? Hey, I'm going to buy like a credit union that's only in Wyoming. Right. And it's like it's kind of going at it from a backwards direction versus saying, hey, JP Morgan's going to go buy, you know, is going to go buy like you know, some sort of like DeFi platform. It's like, why wouldn't the DeFi platform buy the regional bank and start there? Wow. It's almost like you're describing metal as a company. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. Um, I frequently call Proton the people's blockchain because we have not taken a single VC dollar. Um, there are no VCs involved. There are no whales coming in to crush you or to try and shape the protocol to work with their other portfolio companies. I have no board members that are, you know, telling me I need to acquire slice line or whatever. Um, and, you know, so I call it the people's blockchain. It really is, 
it really is created through um, through all these people coming together, the community, what's so powerful about crypto. And, you know, I think VCs have a valuable element, but you know what? They're freaking out right now because there's this capital formation happening that's completely out of their control. They used to have a mafia, right? You used to have to be, you have to go to YC, you have to do all these things, you have to follow us. And, and by the end, you know, you're as the founder going to make very little in the IPO, but we're going to, you know, we're going to make it, but we supported you in the beginning. So that's why it makes sense. And now all of a sudden, you know, I, the best description of this was when Jason Calacanis, uh, a famous VC, went on Twitter and said, you little uh, crypto dipshits don't know what you're doing. And he had this like little meltdown where it was like, <laughs> oh, wow. They're like, they can't yeah, take it, right? So they've em. gone, yeah, got them, right? So now they're going full Which, into crypto. And I think- <laughs> <laughs> What just happened to my screen? Just screen timber behind. <laughs> I thought you were trying to pull up his tweet because it's pretty funny. But- uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. they're having these meltdowns of like, you know, they're getting all pissed. But a lot of them, you know, a lot of them caught this wave, you know, to a serious yeah. extent, too. But it's like the more they get into it, the more they realize, like, OK, if I don't I can't like sit on the sit in my ivory tower and yell at everyone anymore. Like there's too many people to climb up and take this thing down. And it's like the thing that I think is really interesting is some of these other Web2 founders that have kind of been talking shit for like the last three years of like Bitcoin's going down or like they raised $4 million and it sat like in USDs and, oh, you know, during COVID, you know, and everything else, they now have like $400,000 left where like the crypto company that raised $4 million two years ago suddenly has $12 million in the bank and they're all pissed, but they're like starting to come over a little bit like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe there was something over here because naturally the really good VCs are going to catch this because they see it. Like they know the world is shifting underneath their feet and they're good at moving quickly. And like the really good founders, even from web two are the same way where like they can move their feet quickly. And a lot of those are the now web three founders is because they're like, oh, screw, like you're saying like, screw that. I'm going to do something else. And so it's like, we're, we're good at adapting and iterating quickly. And it's like, think about how quick everything's changed in the last two years. It's like going from like DeFi to like, you know, social tokens and NFTs and now DAOs are buying golf courses and now the banks are trying to scramble. Every single brand is in it. You know, we knew there, I don't, th I think there was like one Super Bowl commercial last year, something crypto oriented maybe. And this year it was like completely overtaken by that. It shows you how much money and how much attention is on this. It's like, I remember back in advertising, the word used to be like digital transformation. Oh, you have to, oh man, digital transformation. And now no. everyone's like, <laughs> Everyone's like in these big brands is now seriously like, what the F is this? What is Web3? Like they're so far behind. And so I don't know. It's it's pretty wild to to see this transformation. How like you're saying, like our industry's month is another company's another industry's year. It really is. And I think, you know, the transformation we as a community in crypto have to be very welcoming to let people in because they're going to come to you and they're going to say, how dare you pollute the environment with your NFTs on Ethereum or whatever? Well, then go to Proton, right? But um, you know how you know how how dare you create economic models for users to make money? You know, and I think a lot of times what what some of the people are seeing is they're seeing scams. They're seeing the scams on the outside, the Twitter bots, all that stuff. But when you dig through that and you get to the actual good stuff, when you look at like Proton NFT community, for example, you have you have one of the most welcoming. NFT communities out there, people are so friendly and welcoming. You know, I heard that saying uh, became popular. And I think came kind of from the Bitcoin maximalist movement. Have fun staying poor. It's a very bad uh, saying because yeah. 
it's it, it's condescending to people from the outside coming in. We need to welcome them in. We need to teach them and show them. And even if they say this is, you know, uh, this is a scam or whatever, show them how they can earn money, show them how they can make money. Uh, you know, I remember um, when I first, you know, to go back to my history, first approached Bram Cohen, founder of BitTorrent about Bitcoin. And he said, it's a scam. And I said, no, 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 seriously, take a look at it. It could monetize BitTorrent, has all these cool capabilities. Um, and, you know, uh, when I when I was with the Stellar Project um, in 2014, uh, they were trying to convince uh, Dan Kaminsky to join as a, you know, um, uh, as a researcher, as, as uh, an advisor. And uh, he said he's a famous security researcher. He said the same thing. It's a scam. But then he dug into it and they, they played with it and they tried to hack it. And they all came to the same conclusions. Wow. This is one of the most incredible, transparent, unalterable ledgers, computer science experiments of all time. And what yeah. could we do with that? We do this incredible, crazy stuff. So when you said earlier, you know, like, you know, um, couldn't like a DAO buy a bank? Well, you know, I think Proton is a great example of that, right? Proton is literally, you know, doing exactly kind of what you just said, right? You have the JP Morgan that are going the top down that are like, we don't really get this, but we can spend billions to figure it out, right? And we will siphon, you know, the people from the, the Web3 community, from the crypto community, and they'll, they'll figure it out for us. But it's going to take them a lot longer because you're not going to find those people who are as passionate uh, to build up there because the options are not, you know, you're not a real owner. The, the part about Web3 is, you know, okay, JP Morgan, how many coins do I get? Oh, I don't get any? Yeah. Oh, I just get dollars? I yeah, don't want gonna dollars. Build it wrong. They're going to build it wrong. Yeah. You know, does, yeah, does, you, you does JP Morgan just end up being a custody solution for people that don't want to store their keys? Probably. I think I think it's going to end up being a custody solution clearing house. Um, I do think that they will offer crypto deposits in their consumer and corporate bank accounts. I do think that they will offer a lot of the things, but I think that they'll probably find a niche in custody and um, probably like packaged securities products of crypto, sort of like GPD, G, other things that they really specialize yep. in, you know. But I think the really cutting edge stuff, for example, like digital identity, that's going to be a company like Metallicus building on Proton, like Metal building on Proton or something. It's going to take really passionate founders, people that are really just obsessed with this stuff to keep experimenting and take the risks. Because these bigger companies, they don't want to take the risk. They want to try to acquire companies like us to take the risks. And I've gotten my fair share of offers from the fortune, you know, hundred companies uh, to acquire. I'm not interested, right? I'm not interested at all because um, then I'm just, this whole vision, this whole opus that I have would just be sold for some money that is depreciating that I'm going to go buy crypto with. And I don't get to finish the vision because the vision is to change the system. We have a, a values uh, statement at Metal. It's always act in good faith with full transparency and accountability. And when we used to have an office, I put this on the wall because I think about the other banks out there and you think about like Wells Fargo opening accounts without people's knowledge. You think about the financial <laughs> crisis where they're selling mortgages where, you know, somebody who can't afford even one house is like, oh, I've got eight, you know, um, that's a problem, right? And how is crypto going to be better? It has to come from the people. So when I say the people's blockchain, I'm talking about Proton. Everything I'm building from first blockchain bank to metal pay to Proton loan to Proton swap to our dApps, I'm thinking about that accountability and transparency, but I'm also thinking about what the people want, not the VCs. And I don't even really want, you know, VCs involved. I've got, I've had them come to me. I've, I've talked with, you know, acquirers and different people. And uh, I think that 
you know, there is value, but I think that the old way is dying and the old way is, you know, throwing money at the problem, trying to take control. And the people that are really impassioned, I'll tell you, they're not doing this necessarily for money. I see the same people going to crypto conferences year after year. And you all know who you are when you're watching this. We're not in this so much for money. Yeah, we like money, but we want to go down in the history books. We want to change something, do something really good. And the most successful people in this space have that that vision. You can see that, you know, when you talk to them. Yeah. My, my and favorite thing is going, going to those conferences when the market is way down and the conferences just happens to be at like the, the day of the bottom. Yeah. And you see those same people. And I'm like, these are the, these are the hardcore people that uh, you're yeah. going to see around here for years to come. It's a beautiful thing. It's actually the best time to go to crypto conferences is yes. when the market is way down. Yeah. Versus- That's when you find the real people. Yes. You know, yes. when Bitcoin all of a sudden hits like 5,000 bucks, 3,000 bucks and, you know, the rubles crashing and geopolitical nightmare and you see metal shipping and you see these other companies shipping, you know, give them a good retweet, give them a good shout out because, you know, while we're building this stuff too, the other hard thing, a lot of people in the space and I have a lot of friends that, you know, were deep in crypto and then kind of t- took a step back. The founder of Dogecoin, for example, he's a really great guy, Jackson, but, you know, people are, it's tough, right? It's like, it's like being a sports team, but also being a company. So as you're building your products, you know, people are checking your Lunar Crush score and it's, it's motivating, but at the same time when the whole market crashes, like Bitcoin crashes, you maybe didn't do anything wrong as a founder of an altcoin or a DAO or something, but the whole market's going down. Everybody's screaming at you, you know, when is, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And you just have to, you know, put your blinders on and you just have to, it's like game time. I don't care if the whole stadium is booing me. I'm going to make this touchdown. Right. And that's the, that's the move, you know, you got to give a shout out to the builders. Totally. And we, I mean, we saw that, I mean, we've been seeing that the last month. It's like, I think I saw a bunch of different founders of projects just like kind of post the same thing to their, it's like, Hey, you guys, this shit is not helping. Like we're trying to ship so much product in like the next 90 days and like shit is hitting the fan everywhere. And you're in there just like bitching. And, but it's like, it's, it's understandable. And it's like, as these audiences grow, you know, from your project, our project, everyone's project, it's like, naturally, even if it's 1% of that community, like they're just going to be unhappy 100% of the time. And it's like, you just have to say, hey, this is a part of like building. And like, we all have to kind of be in it together and say like, hey, like you just have to be as transparent as humanly possible and just keep building. And the only thing that really keeps people like, you know, that shuts them up at the end of the day is like, hey, we're just going to like build into oblivion. Like I can never stop building and never stop putting stuff out there. And it's, you're right about the people in this space that, you know, they were kind of born out of this gamer kind of community, maybe a little bit, or like they never really wanted a bunch of money. And so even if they have it, they don't care. And so it's like, they're not going to, and they're almost like entrepreneurial to a fault where it's like, Hey, you're going to get a bunch of offers from these big brands or banks. And you're just like, well, that's not, I don't need anything more than what I have today. And like, every day I don't increase my expenses. I just stay where I'm at. And it's like, you just don't need these people. And so it's like, that's why I think this space is so it's like dangerous. Isn't the right word dangerous to those other banks and everything else is because it's like, shit, you're dealing with a bunch of people that just degaff, like that are just going to build what they want to build. And then like, to me, that's like the most fun is when you go to those conferences where shit is hitting the fan and it's just a bunch of people that like you know i remember riding like the bitcoin bus up to the bitcoin conference in san francisco in like 2018 or 19 i'm like this is like these are the people that no one can ever mess with 
Yeah, it's I there is definitely this bond in the community. And, you know, I keep I keep telling new people that are coming in to keep this really friendly and fun and welcoming attitude. And no matter any of the negativity that's coming in, you know, uh, keep the energy going. Right. Keep it high. Welcome people in. Don't don't use the word shit coins. Don't don't say uh, have fun staying poor. Don't say negative things that 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 put down other people in crypto or people coming in from the outside. We need to be kind of like a light to welcome people in and show people, you know, the opportunity and what there is. And there aren't stupid questions. People are going to ask a lot of the same questions over and over. But uh, we have to kind of welcome people and make people feel comfortable. And I think, you know, that is, you know, when I look at, for example, the success of Dogecoin, um, that is an example of that, right, is welcoming people in, not being afraid keeping it light, keeping it friendly, keeping it fun. Even when the market's down, one doge equals one doge. I borrowed that with Proton, you know, one XPR equals one XPR, one metal equals one metal. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we just, we want to build, we want to make really awesome stuff. And I think that um, it, it is interesting because you have founders like myself, like I don't drive a fancy car. I could, but I don't. Um, I don't even know what to do with the money. <laughs> <laughs> like I just, I yeah. sit, I spend all my time building Marshall, these products. What do you say though to like, so we were at the Bitcoin conference last year in Miami and they had a, they had a, um, one thing that said toxic Bitcoin maximalism, a feature, not a bug. Like, what do you say to those people that are just like the toxicity is a positive for Bitcoin? It's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know how to, dis I don't, I don't want to say anything that's going to upset anyone, but you know, I mean, I got to keep it real. So, you know, the, the so-called like toxic, uh, uh, Bitcoin, uh, maximalism, it's, it discourage, it, it kills your own industry. It kills the price of Bitcoin. You think you're helping Bitcoin, but you're actually hurting it. You're when you, when you have the toxic, uh, Bitcoin vibe, you know, People are thinking one of two things. Okay, so he's he or she's telling me it can only be Bitcoin and nothing else. So either all this these crypto people are very weird, or Bitcoin is the only way. Um, you get a very weird vibe, uh, and I think you know it, it just it doesn't make you want to be a part of it, right? When you kind of scold people, you know, or you talk down to people, I think um, having that kind of attitude makes people not want to build. It makes people. Uh, not really sure about uh, crypto. One of the things that I discovered when I started lobbying in Washington was the one thing I kept hearing when I'm talking to representatives, talking to different public offices was um, it's really refreshing to talk to someone who's not trying to force one idea like Bitcoin on me. I want to hear all the ideas. I want to hear open ideas. And most people are like that. And so I think that, you know, I got kicked off of Twitter spaces once where I think it was Bitcoin magazine was hosting it. And, you know, people, they called me up to the stage. Oh, Metal Pay, it's really cool. The cool stuff you've done for Bitcoin. And they said, is it true you have a crypto called Metal uh, and you've launched other cryptos? Proton, you were involved in Dogecoin. Do you feel bad about uh, creating shit coins or something they said to me? And I said, you know, to be honest, if it wasn't for all of the altcoins that we have and other coins other than Bitcoin, Bitcoin would be nowhere near the volume, liquidity, uh, you know, community that it is. And it was about that time they kicked me off the stage. Isn't that but wild? It's true. It's true. Because yeah. isn't Tether an altcoin? Aren't stable coins an altcoin? You know, without stable coins, you couldn't have the price discovery that you have a Bitcoin. Without the alt market, which is a big portion of the market, you couldn't have the experimentation and the ability for people to come in and, and, and try new things. I can't necessarily convince the Bitcoin core developers 
to make some crazy change, but I can fork Bitcoin and try it out. And I frequently say crypto allows more economic experiments in a shorter period of time than, have ever, than has ever happened before. And this is why it's changing the world is because previously this was all done in a classroom and now it can be done in code and it can be done in real, real time with real markets where you never could experiment with that before. I saw a post on Reddit the other day where somebody said, my prof a professor I, I've enrolled with is teaching about Bitcoin, about cryptocurrency, and it is the worst class because they, do, they know so little, but they're teaching all this stuff. And I am like way beyond them. You know, <laughs> is, is academia dead? Are, are all the subjects that I'm learning is actually like this? Like they don't actually know. And so I think, you know, and that's because it's in academia, you don't get to actually put these things into the real world as much. Very rarely do you get to do these experiments. So in crypto, we have all these experiments that are happening very quickly. And I think that's going to completely change the banking infrastructure. To go back earlier, what you said, are banks going to die? No, it's just going to be like Blockbuster, right? It's just going to be like Netflix. The physical branch is going to disappear. That huge building with all the offices, gone. The teller windows, like there will be tellers, but they're, they're going to be few and far between because you're going to talk to them on your phone. Paper checks, those are going to go away, right? Everything is going to change into a digital format. Banks won't go away. But the way that banks are run and the technology that banks operate on will become highly, highly integrated. I want to say, um, I want to say, in some ways, eventually, and it might take you know thirty years, dependent on de decentralized ledger, distributed ledger, completely. Because the thing is, it keeps us honest, right? It keeps us honest. And when I look at governments that are banning Bitcoin, the governments that are banning Bitcoin, how corrupt do they look to you outside of that issue, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they look super corrupt. Right. Russia, right before it went to war, said it's banning Bitcoin. Um, China, CCP, I'm probably going to get, you know, blacklisted. And I can't go back to China after saying this or whatever. Don't worry, I won't go to Russia anytime soon. But, uh, you know, they're corrupt. They're corrupt. And it's almost like a uh, like a litmus test for corruption. Will you allow open experimentation with banking, with finance? There is a way that we can do this without um, risking the financial system. And I think regulators are coming around to that. CEOs of banks are coming around to that. And you're going to see two different types of banks. One is the large JP Morgan, you know, um, Steve Buscemi with the hat that says cool or whatever on it or band, rock band. Hey, kids, I'm the banker here. You know, is this cool? And then you're going to see people like me who came from it. And, you know, I'm listening to everything that you guys want and I'm building it into our banking products. And uh, while keeping the, um, the response, the, the, uh, idea of responsible innovation, regulated innovation, because we can have our cake and eat it too. We can have cool DeFi inside the banks. It just requires some entrepreneurs to really, uh, you know, get, get socked in the face a few times and really go out there and take a big chance and take a big risk. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, what we've done. I, I said in an interview the other week um, on another podcast that, you know, we had to do things 10 times better at metal than other fintechs coming in when we tried to get partnerships with Visa and MasterCard and other bank partners and financial partners. Because in 2016, when I said, oh, I'm going to make a crypto PayPal with Bitcoin and altcoins, every partner said, that sounds so cool, but not with us, right? Uh, <laughs> right. And I had to work really, really hard. I had to show them you know, uh, an incredible BSA compliance program, a team of executives of people that know what they're doing. And um, and really go above and beyond the other fintechs out there uh, to get those approvals. And now I'm getting my license. We're getting our licenses, and we're really we're getting there. And um, it has not been an easy road, but I don't believe that banks go away. I believe that they transform. And I think it's such an incredible moment. It's economic renaissance because now banks 
are going to transform to really serve the people. I think before this, banks did not really serve people as well as they could have. In many cases, they don't serve people at all. They serve the, the bankers at the top and um, it's going to completely change. And so the, what I'm saying right now on TV, I'm or TV on pot on the stream. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is the new TV. This is the new TV. This is the new TV. What I'm saying to, to people, sorry, just kind of came out of my head. It, it feels like TV, right? Uh, the, what I'm saying on the stream is probably going to piss off a lot of bankers, probably going to make a lot of enemies. Um, and, I, and I frequently do when I say things like this, but uh, it's the truth. This is happening. Um, and it's, you can't stop it. You can't close Pandora's box. Crypto is coming out, is coming out and it's going to completely change banking and the products and services that you see in banks, uh, now and 10 years from now are going to be completely different. They're going to be crypto integrated. They're going to be crypto focused. Um, and whether you know it or not, you're going to be using decentralized ledger. Uh, the idea of Zelle where I can send these fast payments between bank accounts, Proton will enable that globally. And Swift and all these other systems, they're very nervous. But the truth is, is that they either have to adapt or die. Well said. And, Good deal. you know, we are, we're behind you, man. Uh, we love what you're doing. We love what you're building. Um, and it's, it takes builders like you that are super passionate. And if people are upset about passion and upset about change, um, then it, all, all that means is that they're just not willing to adapt. It's people don't want to think they're wrong. Right. And many people have a very hard time changing their mind. It's the hardest thing ever. And they always like recluse back to I was right. And I'd rather just die on this this vine than just literally change your mind and like move forward and like think about the innovation that comes from that with just one mindset. So keep pushing. Thank you. It's those people that take the chances, like you said, that are not afraid to take the risk, especially when the market's down, especially when people say that this won't work or telling you that it's not going to work. Um, you know, take the chance, take the risk because crypto is going to just completely change the world over the next 10 years. And, and I, I know that we all feel that way, but, um, just watch, just, uh, have faith and watch. Amazing. If not crypto, then what? Right. I mean, it's, there's like, <laughs> it's, it's obvious. It's just so obvious. I, I have two questions. I know we're running over on time a little bit, but I'm, I'm super curious about, how, how does Proton organize itself? You know, how does, what does the team look like? You, you guys, it, it's so interesting. We actually did the exact same thing. We had an office and we said, you know what? This COVID thing made us all go work from home. And now we're like, wait, we're all so distributed. What do we do? Everyone's everywhere. And, and it's like, how do you organize to, to ship for success, to evolve? Like, what are you doing with the team? Yeah, so we have, so Proton, you know, as, as a DAO, it has a, a consortium, which is kind of like a, uh, a group of miners, block producers that, that uh, present kind of core issues and things to the block producers to vote on. And then the block producers kind of act as like your elected representative. So it's a little bit different in Proton where you vote for these block producers who vote on core issues um, that are usually presented by the consortium. So we have a lot of open source developments happening with the block producers um, shout out to, you know, Bounty Block, uh, building their NFT program, Gray Mass Anchor, um, Proton New Zealand with their Metaverse uh, Decentralized Exchange, GLBDEX.com. There's all this cool stuff that's happening. Uh, the core developer, Metallicus Inc., that's sort of like the, consen or the Ethereum Foundation to Ethereum or Consensus or whatever. Um, so Metallicus Inc. is the core developer of Proton. Um, and we, you know, after COVID, we went really fully decentralized, right? We you know, I said, okay, well, I'm going to move out of San Francisco if everything's shutting down, came down here. Um, a, a lot of our other team members said, you know, 
I'm going to go to Santa Barbara. I'm going to go, you know, to the East Coast or I'm going to go wherever I feel New York, wherever I feel comfortable. Right. And I think that was really great. Um, you know, tools online, you know, Slack, all these things have made it easier to collaborate. But um, ultimately, you know, we've had to really embrace this kind of global vision. So, you know, my co-founder, Glenn Marion, he's in Belgium. Uh, so I'm used to, you know, international time zones and time differences. Um, but, you know, we do have meetings where we're up at 5 a.m., the other side's up at 5 a.m. I had just one the other night where they're like, well, 5 a.m. is kind of a rough time for us to meet. But, um, you know, you, you, you make it work and you make it work with all these different international teams. And I think that crypto has really the idea of the DAO where all these people can join from all over the world. It's really opening that up. And for us, we just really embraced it. We went we went all in. You know, when we stopped hiring in the San Francisco Bay Area exclusively and expanded globally, the talent pool just shot way up right and the company starts growing we start going from you know 20 people to now we're we're almost 100 people right and that happened over the course of like two years right like massive growth inside the company um and so i think you know when you start stop looking at like this one area and you start expanding your geography to look at all the different areas i think that you know there's so many opportunities and um you know it's a shame what's happening in russia and ukraine there's a lot of great developers in russia and ukraine i want to give a mm -hmm. shout out to Crypto Lines, one of the top block producers and miners on Proton, who's based in Ukraine. I hope they're doing all right. Um, you know, they've done incredible work for Proton Blockchain, one of the pretty much core founders of Proton Blockchain. So, you know, it's you, you want to hire people from all over the world. You want to support people from all over the world. And, you know, we've supported Ukrainian developers, Russian developers. Um, you know, it, it's a shame what's happening. Hopefully sanctions don't prevent us from working with people uh, in those countries. It, it could happen and we're afraid of that. But um, we work with people all over the world. So there's just so much, you know, opportunity to go everywhere. I, I encourage companies to do that. And I think the faster you do that, the more you can, you can grow. I think communication issues can be tough, right? And so um, that is, I think, one of the big challenge of international teams, the communication issues, language barriers, time zones. But, um, you know, the incentives are there. And, um, you know, with Zoom and, and this digital world, I... You know, I think about into the metaverse right now, the graphics are kind of crappy and they look like these video games from like 2000 or whatever. Yeah. Like Minecraft. <laughs> but imagine when it gets like really, really good. And I'm like, hold on, I'll meet you. And it's, it looks like just like this. Right. Then I can imagine that things are going to really start to really um, fly. It might not be healthy because you might forget when the sun's out and whatever. But um, <laughs> well, just something you said right there of like you guys decentralized and like the talent pool started to get really good. I mean, think about even like six or seven years ago where people would raise like seed funding and like the the VC would be like, oh, you have to come move over here now. Or like we only fund people that are like local to us. So we can have like this kind of hands on or like you couldn't even raise around unless you went and flew out there and had like, you know, a dinner and met everyone like multiple times. And now it's just like people will, you know, drop 100K in USDT out of a hat to like be a part of anything internationally, like with just meeting someone on a Zoom. And it's like, what does that, like the speed of innovation of something like that is insane. And it's like, people used to be pinned down to these geographic locations of like, think about that. You'd have to like move to Austin because like the VC like had their office there. Like it sounds insane now. It's crazy. You know, I, when I started Metal, um, you know, I, I pitched to some early like seed stage investors. I'm going to go build the crypto of PayPal and get regulated, make Bitcoin regulated, crypto regulated. And they're like, yeah, right. 
right? <laughs> you know, people were very nervous, right? They're like, well, have you, do you have any previous exits? And I said, well, no, you know, but I've advised some cool companies and, you know, and uh, I've, I've worked on some cool companies. I've always been successful. No, not interested, right? And the traditional and the other VCs that were interested, angels that were interested had crazy conditions, right? Like I didn't know if I could work around those conditions, like moving and other things like that. And um, ultimately, because of crypto, metal is alive today. Some of my first uh, big investors, one came from the Philippines. He he just he he said, "Give me the document. I will sign it and give me te the tether and Bitcoin address, the Ethereum address." And he just sends crypto. If it wasn't for crypto, I wouldn't be here today. I have everything in my career, my life, uh, you know, in a big way. I owe to the crypto community because. They believed in me when other people wouldn't, when they put crazy conditions. And when I went to go raise another round, I, I was looking like, wow, okay, now I'm, you know, now I'm talking to VCs. Now they believe, but their conditions, their conditions are crazy. And, you know, it's not that I'm not open to some of these conditions, but, you know, why should I have to when someone on the other side of the world will meet me in the middle and meet me with good conditions and believes in me, I don't have to turn to that. And guess what? That person in the Philippines, that person in New Zealand, that person in New York or on other sides of the, the country or the world um, who sent, you know, who invested with cryptocurrency, they saw videos like this. They saw, they, they connected with me and those are the best investors. The, the investors that are just looking for their 100X or whatever, guess what? They're trying to merge you. They're trying to tell you, uh, you have to do this thing or that thing. That the show Silicon Valley was very real. It was painful to watch, especially when they got into the <laughs> blockchain part, because it was like, yeah. now it really is me. Now I'm Richard, right? <laughs> but before I was like, I could kind of be like, it's someone else. That's like some AI thing. It's not what I do. Uh, but then it became crypto. But it's true that episode where they make them buy Slice Line, the pizza delivery yep. thing, and it has yep. nothing yep. to do with Pied Piper. That that does happen, and I think. You know, now VCs are kind of focusing. I don't want to make this sound like I, I I hate all VCs or whatever, but I just think that crypto has created new, has really challenged the system, right? And has challenged capital formation and has challenged um, investment and things like that. And now I think you can be an investor from anywhere in the world. You can connect with people where you couldn't before in these forums. And, uh, you know, also with just like crypto fundraising and DAOs and different things like that, um, I, I look at protocol-owned liquidity, you know, there's just so much potential that just wasn't there before. Um, and, you know, you have to, uh, you have to, whether if you're part of the new, uh, the new guard and you're coming in, you know, just keep an open mind, jump in, don't, don't, don't fix your mind on anything, you know, just let, just learn from people. And if you're part of the old guard, you're part of JP Morgan, you're part of some huge VC fund, you need to throw out everything that you've been taught. You need to throw out all that stuff because you're not going to make it in the Web3 world unless you become part of the community, right? And you become part of what people want, not just what you want. And so when I see VCs come in forums or, you know, hey, we want to take over this protocol. Well, guess what? It's not the most popular thing because that is kind of a view where they're going to they're going to control it. People want to have their voice heard. And I think that's that's what's changing everything with crypto. Also, it just completely breaks down the borders. So you want to and you want to raise funds from another part of the world where you couldn't before, where it was hard, um, you can you can do that. I, I want to give a shout out to one of my first investors, Paul Gray, is the top crypto miner on Proton um, uh, Proton New Zealand. Uh, when I was just getting started, I, you know, like most startups had raised a small seed uh, round, raised a little over $100,000, $115,000. And I get a bill from my lawyer for $120,000. 
So I'm like 5,000 negative. And I told my co-founder, um, don't worry, it's okay. I'll go raise more money. He's like, you're making me really nervous, right? Like <laughs> I called my lawyer, really great lawyer. Um, and I said to John, hey, would you be willing to like, give me some more time to pay for this? I'm a young startup. Could we defer this a few months? And he said, you know what? Take the whole year. Most awesome lawyer ever. I love John. And, uh, and then uh, I went, I, I told Glenn, give me some time. I'm going to go raise. I went to uh, a, a private event on Richard uh, uh, Branson's private island called uh, Extreme Tech Challenge. And it was an event where all these startups had uh, competed to get whittled down to like uh, 10 startups uh, where three of them would win a, a gold, bronze, a silver and bronze medal, which was like investment in their company. And then two startups got informally invited, not to compete, just to present. I was one of those startups that got invited. So I went to this event, I'm trying to fundraise and I meet um, Paul on the beach, uh, the, the founder of Proton New Zealand. And after about, I don't know, 45 minutes and I'm telling him my history in crypto, he says, mate, I want to invest $250,000 handshake deal. And before I could even get him the documents, he had wired the money into my bank account. That's right. Awesome. And so like that kind of vibe. And I got that same vibe from other people in crypto. Um, it wasn't possible without this community. And I think that crypto really brings people together in ways that it didn't before. So anybody that's watching this, you don't have to go the traditional path. Don't feel that, you know, if somebody says you can't do it, um, let crypto community decide. Talk to the communities, form a channel. Don't let some VC tell you you can't do something. Let 10,000 people in a room tell you you can do it, right? Um, that's, that's what's so powerful about crypto. It's amazing. Well, that's a beautiful message. I think that's a great place to, uh, to end it today. Um, Marshall, appreciate it, man. CEO of Proton, thank you so much for being here, man. It was great to, to meet you and learn about you um, and wish you nothing but the best. Thank you guys for having me. It was really great. And uh, hopefully I'll be back soon. Cheers. Cool, man. We'll talk to you backstage. And John, thanks, man.